today on Ag News Daily. It's a wonderful alternative to polystyrene and styrofoam. April 18th, 2023, Tuesday edition. Tanner and Jennifer here. Welcome. Haven't been on for the news portion for a while, Jen. No, I haven't. It's been a little bit of time and I'm excited to hop back on today. I'm excited to have you here as well. I know our listeners are. And thanks again for listening to us. Remember to like, rate, review and share this podcast wherever you can. We'd appreciate that. We want to get into that weather here first thing. Dry weather seems to be the theme here for the next couple of days. We're still seeing relative humidity points below 5%, definitely below 10%. Texas, Oklahoma are seeing the driest area. Western Kansas, Eastern Colorado still have low humidity projected. Eastern Iowa, we actually saw temps drop below freezing last night. Temperatures in Northern Illinois were also freezing and of course our friends in Minnesota. So hopefully those early plants that took start didn't get damaged too bad, but freeze warnings are still in the forecast going forward. The National Weather Service is stating that they expect the cool weather to continue and they have continued to extend their red flag warnings. So not a lot of great news there, Jen, but uh, we did have a bet. I don't know if you paid along, paid attention and went along with what Delaney and I had as far as crop planting progress reports. Delaney had said somewhere from 13 to 15 percent, and I had said 15 to 18 percent. But the official report came in yesterday that said corn planting reached 8 percent as of Sunday, April 16th. That is five percentage points ahead of the week before and four percentage points ahead of the five-year average. Missouri took the biggest jump in that side of it to where they are uh, 23 percentage points ahead of where they were last week to 30% planted. Soybean progress in their first week of being reported is 4% done. So Jennifer, I uh, was way off at my 18% top and unfortunately it looks like uh, Delaney gets the win this week. Oh, dang. Guess I'll just have to try again next week. That's right. Or we just won't tell her. Oh, that's true. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, jumping into my first story of the morning, EPA proposal on tailpipe emissions promotes electric vehicles, but draws fire from biofuels group. The EPA released its draft rule on tailpipe emissions and it's drawing fire from the biofuels groups. The administration says the proposal is aimed at accelerating growth of electric vehicles to fight climate change. The rule set CO2 limits for cars, SUVs, pickups, and heavy duty vehicles for model years 2027 to 2032. The EPA set declining limits on fleet-wide grams of carbon dioxide per mile and are strict enough to essentially require far more electric vehicles and better efficiency of gas-powered models. Jeff Cooper, the CEO of Renewable Fuels Association, says what they've effectively done through those regulations or through these proposals is create a de facto mandate for electric vehicles. There's no way that automakers are going to be able to meet these standards long term unless they are drastically increasing their production of EVs. And we think this proposal needs to be reconsidered and reevaluated by the EPA. 
Cooper says EPA is essentially ignoring the carbon dioxide or carbon reduction contributions of biofuels like ethanol that are available to scale and at low cost for customers. EPA estimates the proposal would mean electric vehicles rising to 60% of light duty sales by 2030 and 67% in 2032. That's up roughly 10% from today. EVs would make up 50% of sales of vocational vehicles like buses in 2032. So this is interesting legislation to definitely important keep up on date. Yeah, it is. And that's uh, interesting. We had the opportunity to interview Chip Flory on Farm for Profit last week, and uh, he had a, a very strong stance on what maybe the mandate going to all EV uh, would have as far as implications on the nation. This sounds like another interesting angle to get towards the electric vehicle side of things. But we have HARP bioherbicide gaining support. They closed a $10.5 million round of fundraising. This was led by ADM. Gives HARP the resources to continue its research and development through 2024. In the last six years, HARP has pinpointed the possibilities of using extracts from plants, including several in the Mentha family. HARP's portfolio features modes of action to offer wide spectrum control of broadleaf and grass seed weeds. So the bioherbicide is a all natural herbicide formula that will deliver new opportunities for organic and regenerative ag pre, post, and desiccation use, according to the CEO of HARP Bioherbicide. So sustainability has been a pillar of ADM's growth strategy, and they made this investment on purpose, which is why they're excited to work with HARP Bioherbicide Solutions to accelerate and introduce new nature-based options. So Vice President of Commercial Development at ADM states that this is a unique position for the ag community, for food and ag value chains to give us an opportunity to propel change in multiple ways. So that fundraising round also included iSelect Fund Management and Alexandria Investment Ventures, as well as other private industry that put together that $10.5 million to allow research to continue to 2024. Awesome. And switching routes a little bit, we're going to look back at avian influenza because a third person tested positive for avian influenza or bird flu in China and later died last month, according to a CDC report. This is the first reported death from the virus. The other two infected people were also in China and tested positive in 2022. The USDA hosted a stakeholder roundtable discussion this past Friday, where department officials said they are testing four bird flu vaccines as part of its no stone unturned fight against the virus. The department will be testing one vaccine from Zoetis, one from Merck Animal Health, and two from USDA's Ag Research Services. Zoetis claims it delivered its vaccine to USDA's stockpile in 2016 after a bird flu outbreak in 2015. However, the company says USDA never tapped into the stockpile. Beyond vaccine trials, the USDA previously established bird flu controls that include commercial bird tracking, disease surveillance, documentation of domestic and international trade, indemnity payments, and education and guidance on cleaning, disinfection, and disposal. 
According to Kevin Shi, USDA's acting deputy secretary, these tools have enabled producers to successfully, in quotation marks, mitigate the bird flu outbreak in the U.S. Yeah, that's uh, that's timely, because as we reported yesterday, that uh, that is certainly one of the focuses as we look at the cost of food going forward in Iowa. We could have another milk product on our shelves. Right now, they are looking at amending the raw milk bill and add testing for new safe food safety requirements. Iowans may soon be able to buy unpasteurized milk if this bill does get passed in the Iowa House this week. The Iowa Senate passed Senate File 315 in March, which provided this amendment. It requires raw milk producers to maintain bacteria tests and antibiotic records and prohibits raw milk from being processed or distributed if the dairy animal's bacteria count exceeds the specified limits. The amendment also requires raw milk to be stored at 45 degrees or lower and distributed within seven days of production. So it's an avenue for dairy producers to potentially get more of their product out. It looks like there are concerns though. A couple of the Iowa legislator officials have medical backgrounds and said that there's testing requirement gray area in the amendment uh, as a, uh, let's see, what was her exact position? An infectious disease physician states that multiple children as patients in her past career have fallen ill due to consuming raw milk. They said the concern is not necessarily the adults, but it is the children that don't have a choice and are being served the milk due to the availability in the home. These outbreaks and public health implications is something that we cannot ignore. And she urges the Iowa Public Health Association to work together with the State Dairy Association and Iowa Farm Bureau to make sure that all proactive preventative measures are in place prior to passing this. The unpasteurized milk would be one of the first states in the United States to allow, Iowa would be one of these first states to allow the service and sale of this product. Of course, it'll be interesting to see, Jennifer, if this passes all the way through by the end of the week. Absolutely. And I actually have one other piece of legislation, but for the state of Illinois, but it's definitely a positive thing from my eyes. Legislation in the Illinois General Assembly would allow students to participate in 4-H and FFA competitions and shows without being counted absent from school. Pontiac FFA advisor Jesse Faber chairs the Illinois Ag Education Legislative Committee. He tells Brownfield many schools start the academic year before the Illinois State Fair and DeCoin State Fair, which has caused conflict for 4-H and FFA members. They have to make the choice to be unexcused from one of the first days of school to exhibit their FFA or 4-H projects at the fairs. Our stance is that it's a choice that they shouldn't have to make. He says Bill supporters recognize the educational value of exhibiting both livestock in general projects and schools should support students who earn the opportunity to exhibit at the state and national level. Faber says it really is no different than a student being excused to compete in a sporting event. They are exactly just asking for the same treatment and recognition as if they were attending a music competition, student council convention, or a track meet, Faber says. He also continues on that it is already common practice at some schools, but the legislation would make it a statewide standard. 
Faber says the bill passed unanimously in the House and is expected to be picked up in the Senate once lawmakers return to session. He says the bill has strong bipartisan support and he is very optimistic that it will pass. I would say that this is positive and definitely important for kids that were like me when I was in high school, Tanner. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that article. And if you don't have any additional news, I'll hit one last headline and get into the markets today. I do not. Let's jump into it. All right. Hong Kong is reporting China's economy got off to a more solid start than anticipated in 2023. Consumers went on a spending spree after a three-year strict pandemic restriction ended. The GDP grew 4.5% in the first quarter over a year ago, according to the National Bureau of Statistics release on this morning. The estimate from Reuters was 4%, but private investment barely surged. Consumer consumption posted the strongest rebound. Retail sales jumped 10.6% in March over a year earlier. That's the highest growth level since June of 2021. And as we sit here today, the markets are going to open all green as far as that sits. The December corn contract up two cents to 5.69. Even the November soybean contract is opening 10 cents higher, 13.21 and a half. Wheat contract for December is 7. 38 even that itself is also up four and a half today as we switch over to the livestock complex uh, green across the board is again june live cattle 164 and seven eighths up a penny this morning feeder cattle in may contract at 210.75 lean hogs trading for may 81 even so that is a great start to our markets today now it's time to get into a tech tuesday conversation where we get to talk to some of the latest innovation around the soybean industry with a team of four researchers and listeners a tech tuesday interview which is going to be exciting because i always like bringing brand new technology to you as the listeners this is also going to be a fun interview to manage because we have four awesome guests today representing their company. So we're going to start off with introductions to the individuals. And uh, Alyssa, why don't we start with you? Why don't you explain to our listeners who you are and what your connection to agriculture is? So my name is Alyssa Choi. I'm a sophomore at Purdue University in biological engineering, and I'm minoring in food science. My connection with agriculture is through the uh, Purdue student soybean competition. No, this is good. So team member number one, second team member, and I want to pronounce it Valeria. Did I say that correct? Yes, that's perfect. Thank you so much. All right. um, so I'm Valeria Tejas. I'm a pharmaceutical scientist from Colombia. And right now I'm doing my PhD. Uh, this is my fourth year in the industrial and physical pharmacy department uh, at Purdue University as well. And my connection um, with agriculture uh, comes down to my country, Colombia. So we are great coffee producers, but I gotta say that I didn't know much about agriculture until I joined the soybean competition. That's cool. And I'm glad that you mentioned Colombia because I was going to ask where that accent came from. So thank you. And Amy. <laughs> Hi, my name is Amy Tang. I'm a sophomore in biological engineering and pharmaceutical sciences, and I'm an international student from Brazil. 
my connection with agriculture is through my college because biological engineering at Purdue University, it's part of the College of Engineering and College of Ag. Um, and also through uh, the soybean competition. That is so cool. And Louis, last but not least, let all the ladies go first. Why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Thank you. So my name is Luis Cáceres. I'm Master in Mechanical Engineering from the National University of Columbia. I'm currently a four-year PhD student working here at Purdue Polytechnic, working at the Field Laboratory of Renewable Energy. And my connection with agriculture has been mainly related to research projects, mainly biomass transformation for the production of energy and fuels during my master's and PhD program. That is exciting, listeners. I think you very quickly can tell that I am definitely out-educated in this interview. Uh, it is so fantastic to hear about the level in which you guys have gone in your studies. So again, thank you for joining us. But you alluded to the reason we're doing this interview today, and that is the Student Soybean Innovation Competition. So, Amy, why don't we start off with you and explain to our listeners what you guys brought into the competition, and then uh, we'll let another one of your teammates explain what the competition was. So, through the Soybean um, Student Innovation Competition, we brought uh, the first truly green compostable soybean-based uh, foam to replace styrofoam in the market. This is something that was never achieved before, not, not found in the literature, because our foam um, it's vegan, it's compostable, it's biodegradable and non-toxic because we don't use any well-known foaming agents and anything that it's um, toxic for you, for your animals or any um, living being. Wow, that's that's exciting. This could really take off. So, Lewis, why don't you explain what this competition was all about? So, this competition was a wonderful opportunity for all of us to take uh, actually an idea that came from our minds from the very scratch uh, and start building it up until having a final product. So the competition basically is composed of uh, multiple stages. So in the first one, basically you go to a meeting and then you meet people there and you basically build a team. We didn't know each other before the competition and we end up being a wonderful team. After that, you start exploring multiple ideas. So you do some brainstorming, evaluating which idea could be potentially the winner for this competition and, uh, and an idea that could potentially have a huge impact in, for the environment and also from an economic perspective. So that was uh, at that moment where was when we realized that uh, uh, a foam, uh, uh, a soy-based compostable and vegan foam to replace the styrofoam was a wonderful idea. So after that, we did the market analysis. So at that point, we realized about the huge potential of this idea in terms of money for the Indiana Soybean Alliance and also for Purdue University. And then uh, around January, uh, this is around four, three months after the beginning of the competition, we started going to the lab, doing some experiments, a lot of experiments until we got the final product. That is exciting. I had no idea that the four of you had not connected 
prior to this competition. So that's even more exciting. Alyssa, how, how big of a financial impact when you were doing your research could this product have to the industry? So when we did our research, we found that um, for each 1% of um, the styrofoam polystyrene industry that we replaced, that would be about um, $25 million for the soybean industry, which is a lot. And that's only for 1%. Um, we feel like our, especially with, um, there's a lot of bans going in place for polystyrene. So um, our product has the potential, has the potential to really take off. Yeah, that's exciting, considering that that's just 1% of the market share to see exactly where that could go. So, Valeria, as you went through your time in the lab, talk about how you discovered what was going to make this product successful. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked this. Uh, so, as Liz mentioned, it was a lot uh, of experience. Experiments. Uh, it was trial and error, and also it was through literature uh, search that we discover and walk the path through uh, through getting this process uh, what it is right now. So we basically started with a protein film uh, around January, which is um, a flexible structure where protein molecules are connected to each other. Uh, but then that doesn't have any volume to it. It's, it's pretty flat. So what we did later on was try different effervescent agents um, uh, and in, inspired in the pharmaceutical industry, for example, sodium bicarbonate, but that didn't quite work. So we also uh, tried a bubbling agents, uh, for example, air, and that didn't work as well. So we were kind of stuck in the beginning of February. Uh, so that's why uh, we we conducted some literature review and uh, found some biotech that could potentially help our product uh, be a success. And so after that, uh, once you have a foam um, and once you have that film expanded vertically, then you have to let that foam dry. And that was also part of the challenge um, where if you recall when you're a kid and you have like these bubbles and you're like playing around with them they will eventually mm -hmm. disappear so that was happening to us so they will they, they were disappearing uh, so uh, it took us around like another month uh, towards the end of february to actually let the foam stable um and dried out uh, until we got um what uh, the judges saw in the competition and also people that went to the award ceremony. So, um, yeah. That is uh, exciting. I, I assumed there would be quite a few failures on the way to the process. So perseverance on behalf of all four of you is great. So Amy, back to you. What did the team get for winning this competition? Um, I think the most important we got a lot of knowledge, um, especially for me and Alyssa, since we are undergrads, we didn't have any experience in lab and this competition provided us with a lot of research experience and guided us um, to understanding more what we want to do in the future. Because as undergrads, as uh, second year students, we're still very unsure of our future, let's say like that. And um, Talking about prices, we got, um, we not only got first place in the competition, we also got um, People's Choices Award. 
So we got a lot of money, let's say like that, <laughs> and also some um, some prizes for uh, for participating, which is very cool and incentivizes everyone to participate in a competition. We also got a lot of connections, so networking, which is really valuable too. So I would say these are some awesome things that we got from this competition. That's really cool. Yeah, I saw in the article there that your grand prize was $20,000 and that People's Choice Award was really cool. But kind of like what Amy alluded to, Lewis, what's the future look like for this project? What's the team going to do going forward? Uh, so we are very excited right now because we see a great potential on, on our product. And uh, we think that also in the NSOIBIN Alliance and Purdue, we see a great potential on this. So today we received uh, great news that we, uh, of the Indian Soybean Alliance, has filed a provisional patent on, on this product. So uh, that will be like the first step in order to, in the near future, uh, have something uh, tangible in the market for, for making this product a reality. That is really cool. So I'm just going to open this up to the whole team here. What else would you like to share with our listeners today? We would like to to make sure that uh, our product being as it was designed, it's a wonderful altern alternative to cholesterol and styrofoam because this one doesn't deal with microplastics or nanoplastics. And this is a huge environmental problem that we are facing right now and we, that we need to tackle with uh, innovative ideas. And Styrosoy is one of those ideas with the potential to, to change the packaging and construction industries by using uh, this product. I would also like to add that um, in the marketing perspective, um the electronic packaging industry they don't have an alternative for styrofoam or polyesterine um, right now so styrofoam would have a huge impact in this market but also styrofoam have the potential to be used as an insulator in um other uses with more research and development. Our products has a huge potential to transform this world. I would say so. This has been uh, extremely exciting and my pleasure truly to get to be one of the first to interview after your win. So congratulations on the win. This is Styro Soy. And uh, guys, continue to keep up the great work at Purdue and along with this product. Uh, again, congratulations on your win. And listeners, you'll have to keep touch and keep pace as I see this technology expanding in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much Thanks for so having much. it. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much, you very for, much having for having us. There you go, Jennifer. Thank you. I believe you helped set that one up. It was a very fun interview to have with a lot of excitement around a potential new product. Absolutely. It sounds like it was a blast and it was definitely an interesting innovation that I thought was great to learn about. Absolutely. Listeners, thanks for hanging out with us here today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Don't be afraid to check us out and leave a message on social media. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.